Welcome to the NutraCast, a production by Nutra Ingredients USA. I'm Danielle Masterson. Thank you for joining me here on the NutraCast, where we talk and share insights from inside the nutrition industry. The Journal of the International Society of Sports Nutrition recently released a new position statement on nutritional concerns of the female athlete. This review reflects the latest evidence-based nutritional considerations for female athletes and provides a framework and guidance for future research opportunities. Here to share some of the key takeaways from this review is one of the researchers, Katie Hirsch, exercise physiologist and sports nutritionist assistant professor at the University of South Carolina. Hi, Katie, and welcome to the NutraCast. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for joining me. Uh, First of all, Thank you so much for this research. As you are well aware, there really isn't enough research on females, so I'm really grateful for this. Absolutely. Yeah, we were really excited to put this together and really just kind of synthesize what we do know and then even look forward to what we can improve on. Yeah, so you've got quite the A-team of researchers. How did the idea kind of come about and then how How was it organizing and collaborating with so much information? Yeah, gosh. So there's a whole handful of us authors on this, as well as, you know, even outside this position stand that are really trying to tackle this topic of how do we improve the knowledge and the education of female physiology, especially nutrition, And so I think where this stand maybe kind of originally started back in, I think it was like October of 2021, we did an ISSN female health and performance kind of webinar. And that was led and coordinated by Eric Bastillo, who is on the position stand as well. And he brought together a lot of these great researchers that are within the ISSN, outside of the ISSN, to share what they know and what they're working on related to female athletes, women's health, performance, all those kinds of things. And so out of that conference, I think there was then kind of this desire to synthesize all that information and put it into a position stand, which is something that the ISSN takes a lot of pride in putting those together. In trying to really synthesize what the science is saying, what we know, to try to really help people have a great one-stop resource that they can go to, to really get, you know, where do we, where do things kind of stand on this topic? So from there, I think, yeah, Eric and probably uh, Trisha worked on putting together, you know, who can kind of spearhead this thing. And so ultimately, Stacey Sims, who's that lead author, really kind of spearheaded all of this. Um, Stacey's well known in the female athlete, nutrition and health all across the age range. So she really kind of led this thing. And then there were kind of some key team members. So like Abby Smith-Ryan, who's well known in this field. Um, I think Mike Ormsby's lab did a lot of contributions. A lot of these other authors, you know, contribute sections that they are maybe most familiar with or most heavily researching. And then, yeah, it all gets put together. And then from there, some reviewers get selected who are also experts in this area. So then it gets sent out to a handful 
of further people to review it and kind of look through all the info. Is there anything that was missed? Really give it a final brush through. And then, yeah, that's kind of after all of that, which is a whole lot of synthesizing. Um, mm-hmm. So huge kudos to Stacy for kind of spearheading all of that and working with everyone's comments and bringing all of that info together into one document. Not a small feat whatsoever for this topic. So that's, yeah, then we ended up with this great final product. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like such a laborious process. I couldn't imagine. One of the biggest takeaways I saw in your research was, you know, the significant sex differences that exist in things like insulin sensitivity, immune response, muscle and body composition, iron metabolism, hydration, you know, appetite control, so many things. Uh, The list goes on. How much do we know about this area and, and what largely drives these differences? Yeah, so like you saw, I think most of us now super aware that obviously sex differences do exist all across physiology. And that's all going to be largely driven by the difference in what's our dominating sex hormone. And so I think where all the research is going now, I think the original view of sex hormones, so testosterone or estrogen, progesterone, those types of things, the original view was what's their role on reproduction. Obviously, that's a primary function, but we know that these hormones work systemically, and so they're going to influence our entire physiology. And so what we know is these levels of estrogen, progesterone are going to impact our body composition, our fat distribution, muscle mass, size, quality, metabolism, um, substrate use, and then even expanding to cardiovascular function, vasodilation, thermogenesis, on and on and on. So these really have systemic and physiology-wide impacts. And so knowing that, okay, testosterone is going to tend to promote changes in that physiology that kind of go along with strength, speed, power. Estrogen tends to promote characteristics along the lines of endurance, I would even say survival type benefits. And so where we're kind of going now with the research, I think, is okay, recognizing these hormones have these systemic effects, how much of an impact does it have on the physiology? And then for women specifically, what do these changes in those hormones look like? And how do we maybe best work with them or maximize our female physiology and the implications of all of that? Yeah. So what can you tell us about a female athlete's hormonal profile and then the importance of tracking hormonal status? Yeah. So typically, I think when we think of female physiology, hormonal profile, first thing that's going to come to mind is that standard eumenorrheic female normally menstruating with a typical hormonal cycle. So we're going to have that follicular phase with lower estrogen progesterones leading into the luteal phase with the rise in estrogen progesterone split there by ovulation in the middle. And so we know now that menstrual cycle can tell us a whole lot about female physiology, female health. So most people first thought is, okay, that means presence or absence of menstruation, which is a great key indicator. I would say also, though, that it goes beyond that. 
if we've lost our menstrual cycle and that's not happening anymore when normally it would be, things are pretty far down the road and there's a lot of dysfunction that had to occur prior to that point happening. So I think the importance of tracking the cycle goes beyond just presence or absence of menstruation regularity, but also getting into, okay, the presence or absence of ovulation. So for that, we can do the simple ovulation tests. That can tell us a lot earlier if there's maybe some changes or earlier signs of some dysfunction in the female physiology. Those hormones are reacting differently or whatever. So that's a great key indicator. Beyond that, even if you did no other testing, just even changes in the length of a menstrual cycle or the length of different phases, especially that luteal phase, those can all be indicators that something is changing in that hormonal profile, something is changing in that female physiology, and so we need to start addressing that, okay, what's the cause of that change? Where's the stressor coming from? Is it nutrition? Is it exercise volume? Is it life stressor? Whatever it might be. But those types of things can give us some cues a lot sooner than even just the loss or presence of menstruation. So that's a key thing I think a lot of women can benefit from is just what looks normal to you for a cycle. And then you can better pick up on when there's changes um, in different aspects of your cycle. So that's a typical eumenorrheic, normally menstruating female. But we also know that's not the entire population. There's a large percentage, I think well over 50% of females that are on some form of contraception. And so that can change the profile. Those women might need to do things a little bit differently. We know, like, for example, an IUD user, that hormone is going to act a little more locally, more specifically at the uterus. So they're still going to have normally functioning endogenous hormones. Their cycle within their body is going to still look similar, similar hormonal profile, but that localized addition of the progesterone at the uterus is what's changing some of our cues. So that could be loss of menstruation, erasing some of those pieces. So it can be a little trickier in an IUD user to pick up on when that hormonal profile is changing. And so they might have to rely a little bit more on other signs and symptoms, maybe related to ovulation or some maybe additional hormone tracking or maybe some symptom tracking. Where it gets even trickier then is someone that's using like um, an oral contraception or like the depot shot or some kind of rod, all of those types of contraception work systemically. And so that's basically overriding the whole endogenous profile. And in those women, it gets really tricky to pick up on if there's changes in their cycle because it's now being completely dictated by that exogenous hormone that they're taking. And so those are the ones we really need to pick up on maybe some other factors and be a little more diligent with tracking other physiological changes, maybe some performance tracking or additional body comp or some yeah additional type things to pick up on, maybe if they're having some other types of issues coming up. So cycle's not going to be really reliable for those women. 
And then the last group I really like to draw attention to is then your like aging groups or your pregnancy groups. So both when we get pregnant, pre and post having a baby, and then as we move into peri and postmenopause, those all completely change the hormonal profile again. And so in all of those, if we know what our normal cycle looks like, we can track how all of that's changing relative to where we were to start with. We can pick up on when are we starting to enter that perimenopause time period you know, how do I, how am I recovering after pregnancy to get back to my normal exercise and activity habits, all those types of things. So there's actually a lot of, it's hard to say what's normal female profile. Um, That can look a lot of different ways and just knowing, okay, maybe establishing what's normal for you and then working off of that. So many variables. There's Um, a lot of variables. (laughs) So the research asserted that making sure the athlete is eating enough is a top priority. Why is that? And is that a big reason why maybe some women are losing their periods? Yes. So the energy piece, that's the crux of all female nutrition information. Before we get into any other type of periodization or supplements or in the weeds a little bit of how do we optimize nutrition, For women, it's most important that we're at least getting appropriate energy intake. So a lot of my work focuses on body composition, energy expenditure, substrate use, metabolism. And what we see with women is females and that uh, female hormonal profile are very sensitive to energy levels. And very quickly, if energy needs aren't being met, we start to see pretty quick changes in the hormonal profile, starting to change, you know, reproductive capabilities, which then cascades if we keep going into impacting our entire physiology. And so if we go too long without meeting those energy needs, not only do we, you know, start cutting out some of those reproductive and losing that menstrual cycle, But now it's impacting muscle health, muscle quality. It's now impacting our cardiovascular function. It's now going to start impacting immunity, all aspects of our physiology. And so that's where things like um, female athlete triad and red S, which is reduced energy deficiency, all starts to come up. And if we go too long, we're going to start seeing negative impacts on our health, our performance. Bone density is a big one that comes up. So really meeting those energy needs are key, key for women. And then from there, we can expand on the macronutrients and then the supplements and things. It sounds like each life stage also plays a big role into this energy and how it all works. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely, I think, yeah, depending on what phase you're in, pre, peri, post, if you're in that um, pre and post pregnancy type stage, all of that can change and influence your energy needs. How much exercise are you doing? And so, really being in tune again with what looks normal for you, but then figuring out okay, what are my baseline energy needs and how do I make sure I'm at least meeting that? 
And then depending on what stage we can start talking about, do we need to focus more on carbohydrate? Do we need to bring in a higher emphasis on protein? All of that, yeah, can drastically change. It's all similar, but there's ways to optimize depending on what phase we're in. Mm-hmm. And so I was reading, you know, the paper notes that due to the lack of female-specific research on supplements, more research is needed to confirm the need for a female-specific supplement strategy. Uh, But what do we know about female-specific ingredients that women should be taking? Yeah, there's lots and lots of good supplements out there, and we know they're going to have, I think, benefits in men and women. Obviously, the data is very heavily skewed right now. We know best how they work with male physiology. But some key ones I think women can definitely benefit from, you know, things like creatine that's consistent across all populations, one that anyone can benefit from. But there are some unique benefits in women, especially related around depression and cognitive, some more of our maybe brain-related physiology outcomes. There's some neat data on helping to offset um, some of those aspects in women specifically. Great benefits to help support uh, training adaptations and more strength power. There's some neat data on um, bone benefits long-term, especially from high doses of creatine. And then there's some neat data that I was involved with um, coming out of Abby Smith-Ryan's group, looking at creatine loading across different phases of the menstrual cycle. So can we maybe emphasize loading during, let's say, the luteal phase to help with better um, muscle hydration type factors? Can it help offset fatigue that might be occurring during that luteal phase a little bit. So maybe some strategic supplementation in those phases. Another one women can benefit from beta alanine has some good benefits for maybe more higher intensity exercise, especially as we get older and wanting to continue to exercise. And there's maybe some feelings of fatigue going on or we're just starting some exercise programs, some beta alanine can be beneficial there. You do have to do some loading phases with that, but can help in those aspects for sure. When you say loading, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so there's different ways to take supplements. We can a lot of times just take a standard dose every day consistently, or sometimes we need to build up concentrations in the body we can do um, take larger doses over a shorter period of time, and that can help build up the concentrations in our body. So, for example, going back to creatine, we know if we take three to five grams every day for a month, we'll basically saturate our muscle stores. But if I take three to five grams four times a day, I can also saturate my muscle stores within like a week or so. And so depending on how quickly I want to build up and start getting those effects, I can change my dosing strategy. So same thing with beta alanine. One dose of beta alanine is probably not going to make a huge difference. I need to take it over time, over about a month to really build up better benefits and really see the effects of it. So it's something to take consistently, probably with beta alanine, don't need to take it all the time, 
But as you're starting an exercise program or you're entering a phase where you're doing a lot of higher intensity, good idea to take it maybe every day while you're working through that. And then you can cycle off of it. Creatine, same thing. If you want to build up those stores really fast, you can do that five to seven day loading phase, really saturate your stores and then move to more of a maintenance dose, three to five grams a day. Or if you don't want to think about it, just take your three to five grams every day and within a month you'll get there. So we can kind of change our dosing strategies just to build up those concentrations. Good to know. Thank you for breaking that down. One thing I was reading about in the research is obviously there isn't enough research on women, but how common is it for research on female athletes like across their lifetime, looking at all the different life stages? Yeah, so a lot of the female research we have, I think, focuses on two primary life stages. A lot of the female athlete specific research is going to be on 18 to 30 year olds kind of that college age population or that young adult time frame. And then as we move into more health related outcomes, we see a lot coming from our much older age group, usually 65 plus postmenopause. And so especially if we're looking at anything age related, we tend to see most of the data in those two groups, that 18 to 30 and then 65 plus. Where we're lacking a whole lot of data is everybody in between, um, which is a lot of women. That's a big gap. A big, big gap. And that's consistent in men, too. That middle age gets skipped over a lot. But in women, I think that age is super important. A lot of life and a lot of changes happen during that time period. So if we think about women are still having kids through that time period, especially those who maybe prioritized building a career or an athletic career, they may not be having children till after that 30 time mark. Um, So that's still happening a lot as you get into 40s, 50s, you know, you get the perimenopause transition happening which is a key time point. We're missing a lot of information there um, just because that time is so variable and so individual for each woman. But there's growing interest in that. And then specifically that time period right around menopause. So those few years leading up to and then those few years after getting more information on breaking that down and what's happening there. So Yeah, a lot more like nutritionally, how can we optimize carbohydrate protein intake throughout those different phases to better support body cop changes, cardiometabolic health, support muscle mass? How do we optimize performance, especially something I love seeing is we're seeing more and more female athletes competing longer Later in life, like I think Women's World Cup right now is a really great example. We have Mm -hmm. just on the U.S. women's team, these teenagers, and then ranging all the way up into mid to late 30s. And we've got athletes even into their 40s. And so what does optimal nutrition and training look like at all these different stages? And they're all going through different kind of hormonal profiles. And then even 
those older ones who are maybe retiring, what does transition into regular life look like? And um, as they enter perimenopause, how do they stay active? And then my ultimate favorite group is we're seeing women competing well into their 80s and 90s um, with these like masterclass events, which I love to watch and love to see. And how do we keep supporting them? How do we maximize benefits of our supplements? So the creatines, the beta alanines, the nitrate, how can that optimize maybe blood flow as that changes throughout our life? I do a lot with amino acids. um, And so how can I overcome anabolic resistance that occurs with aging and help these women stay strong and healthy? So I think there's just, yeah, there's so much potential in a lot of areas we can target to really help seeing these women continue to compete all throughout their lives. Yeah, there really is so much potential and so much work to be done. But I have to say, you know, thank you for for doing some of this work. I mean, you're getting it going. We're getting there, I think, slowly but surely. Absolutely. Yeah, It. that's the hard part about science. It's a exciting time right now. There's, I think, good momentum. We're seeing a lot of growing support and interest, but science takes time. No matter how fast I do it, you know, a study, seeing it from getting the funding to the publishing can take five years if we're moving fast. And so it just, it takes time. But I think there's a lot of us trying to do more work, trying to do better work, improving that quality. So I'm excited to see what comes out. Yeah. In the coming years, I think we're just getting started. Mm -hmm. And speaking of that, is there any current or upcoming research that you're involved with and excited about? Yeah. So my lab got some studies coming up focusing yeah, on some impacts of how are those hormonal fluctuations with the menstrual cycle maybe relating to performance outcomes? How do hormonal contraceptives play into that mix? What does that look like? What are some methods we can use to better track and pick up on changes in the cycle? And then kind of a passion of mine is that that menopause transition. What about that middle group? How do we help those women in that huge time of flux and change keep exercising, keep performing, feel good about themselves um, as we move through that time. So my lab's pretty new. We're just getting up and rolling, but we've got some really exciting stuff coming in the works. So excited to get that going. We will definitely stay tuned. The ISSN review concludes that it is the author's hope that this position stand will motivate future investigations to incorporate more females into studies. Lots of people are talking about this, Katie, so I I sure hope so. Researcher Katie Hirsch, assistant professor at the University of South Carolina. Thank you so much for joining me here on the NutriCast. Thanks again for having me. If you like what you just heard, you can subscribe to the NutraCast wherever you get your podcast. You can also head to NutraIngredients-USA.com for even more Nutra-related content. Thank you for listening. I'm Danielle Masterson. As always, I'll catch you here on the NutraCast next week. <laughs>